Well, somebody has to do something. So exclaims, with much more emotion, the rapidly unravelling reverend in Paul Schreider's First Reformed when he is confronted by environmental inactivity within his church. An inactivity he later ponders whether God will indeed forgive. For today's guest, creatively responding to the climate emergency needs to be core business of the church. The good news is that the Christian faith is replete with resources that can be utilised in the formation and sustaining of that response. Welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Darking Young Land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church of Australia, in Australia. Oh, they're going to take away my ordination. Uh, today, I speak with Dr. Dyerason about, te- about teaching theology, being a Christian in green movements, and how to appropriately call on Bonhoeffer when engaging contemporary issues. Di teaches at the University of Newcastle, Australia, where she did her PhD on Bonhoeffer's theology and anthropogenic climate change. In November, she is teaching a course on creation and eco-theology, responding to a climate emergency, with the United Theological College and Charles Sturt University. The course runs from November 9 to 13, both online and at UTC in North Parramatta. To find out more or enrol, check out the show notes below. But before you do that, please put your hands together virtually or in person as we welcome Di Rayson to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Di Rayson, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Well, thank you. Good morning. We've been talking, we were just talking before, Mike, we've been wanting to, you know, connect for a while. Like we've been like, you know, connected uh, on on the, you know, on online, on social media, and we've been near each other at theological events before, but we've not actually <laughs> spoken uh, about theology. Maybe can you just let people know a bit where you are? Uh, you know, we're not in the same room. Um, and, uh, you know, so where, where are you at? Where are you based? And, and what kind of, I guess, occupies, uh, occupies your days? Yeah, great. Um, so I'm actually on Birupai country at the moment. This is, this is where I live and, um, and do my study from my home. Um, and that's on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, uh, west of Taree. So I live between the mountains and the ocean. Um, but I also work um, at the University of Newcastle, which is on Awabakal country. Um, so I teach there um, in the humanities department, uh, and I also have a gig with UTC in Sydney. So um, I'll be teaching with them over uh, November, um, a new unit on um, creation and eco theology. So I'm a bit peripatetic. I go uh, <laughs> go where the need arises. Yeah, that does seem to be like the, uh, the 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 modern world in both academia, but particularly maybe humanities and theology and the like. Uh, need to be you know flexible to go where needed <laughs> yeah I think so um but I'm pretty excited because I get to um to teach at Newcastle in in the secular setting they don't mm. teach theology there any longer that's actually where I did my PhD in theology mm. but that doesn't run any longer but it means that as a theologian that I can teach into um other subjects particularly in the social sciences um and I think it's really important for people to understand that theology isn't that sort of separate thing over there it's actually um, another way of understanding the world um, and a really important way, particularly with um, the importance of religion in the national and international scenes, you know, in the political mm. context. 
for students to have that um, that background as, as a way to see and interpret the world, even though they're studying in a secular institution, um, it, you know, it's a real privilege for me to be in that space. Um, but also it's just lovely to be teaching theology again uh, with Charles Sturt Uni in November. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really important because I know it's often um, uh, I interviewed a while back Christine Helmer, who, who you know, a religious studies theology a professor and a theologian herself, and often talks about you know this wrestle of her wanting to talk about doctrine uh, as this thing that's worthwhile to be spoken about outside of just yes um, tucked away theological um, nests you know adjacent to the university, but won't actually this is a conversation that is worthwhile to be had in you know the um, secular university and beyond in in the society. So you know, and yeah. I think. Yeah, it absolutely is, and I think we're we're sort of we've got this carryover of this separation of church and state, um, which you know founded our country and our universities, and so theology has never had a rightful place, you know, amongst the other ways of seeing the world and interpreting the world. Um, and so I guess that, that's been the biggest shift, you know, from moving to being a Christian to being a theologian mm-hmm. um, is that permission, I think, to say, well, this is my subject matter. You know, um, mm. I speak of God and, and the ways we understand the world, you know, through that doctrinal position um, as my, my subject matter. This is my academic um, understanding. So it almost gives me more permission to, to speak of God in the world um, mm. when you wear that, that official hat as theologian. Yeah, that's really interesting. Have you found that, you know, when you when say when you're teaching at Newcastle, because I'm sure there are people who, some people probably come in very like eager and I want to learn about this or um, maybe come from their own kind of confessional background, but I'm sure there are others who are like, convince me why this is um, worthwhile and why this isn't something that should be kind of pushed to the side. I mean, what do you find often in those classrooms as, you know, you're kind of introducing this as a subject, um, you know, among subjects and as a way of looking at the world, among ways of looking at the world um, that can contribute to a well-rounded education and and, and way of living in the world? Look, it's really important for students um, to to get across critical thinking, critical interrogation of the world around them. How do we, uh, how do we get our information? How do we, um, you know, uh, critique the sources of that information? You know, we're talking about epistemologies. Um, but even in, in first year when students, you know, fresh out of high school come to us, it's really important for them to understand and to to increase in their appreciation of the different worldviews that are out there and how we um, frame those worldviews, how how they're created, how they're nurtured, you know, in our homes and in our families and our schools. Um, and, and usually, you know, 17, 18-year-olds haven't really come to that critical understanding um, that their worldview is something which is shaped and formed and created. It's not just sort of um, imposed upon them. And so... Uh, when we're doing that work of interrogating, well, how do we shape our, our worldviews? It's really useful to say, um, to compare, you know, the, the views within the humanities, the epistemologies within the humanities and those within the sciences. And then we can say, well, I can say, well, look, and I'm, you know, I'm a third way. I'm, I'm a theologian and um, the body of knowledge and knowing from from that field is is another way again. And really for 
for each of us to be, you know, good citizens and good humans, um, it's it's good to be able to at least be across, you know, the different ways of knowing so that we can interact with each other on a, on a in a decent way, you know, to, to sort of at least have some understanding of where people are coming from. Totally. And I, I want to... Um... There's two ways I want to go about this. I want to stay just here for one more second, which is um, having studied, you know, done your PhD at, at Newcastle and then and then taught there, as well as then kind of teaching in a theological college. Are there things that you think that potentially like those in theological classrooms um, might benefit from in, in you know in the way they approach their studies from what you've kind of learned in approaching theology, both as student and teacher, in a more secular program? Uh, is it something that, you know, that, that has been revealed to you by going through that, you know, in that path that you're like, actually, over here, we could benefit from from this? I think it's useful for people in, um, in theological colleges, in seminaries, in, in, you know, Bible schools to, to not only see their body of knowledge as... Um, as mysterious, you know, the arcane mystery, this um, this special piece of knowledge and doctrine and, and experience. Um, but it's also, it holds up as a discipline, it holds up um, against other ways of seeing the world. Um, and, you know, it's not just our private, mysterious, um, you know, spiritual uh, realm, it's, it's also you know, a way, I know I keep saying this, but it's a way of knowing, it's a way of interrogating and understanding and working with the world, um, which is which is as legitimate as any other way of knowing the world. And so, um, you know, in my own work, which is very interdisciplinary because I pull from, from the hard sciences, as, as they're called, um, but working with what we understand about climate change and our influence in the ecology um, and how um, how we might, you know, push back against conventional wisdom in that space is to be able to say, well, this is a scientific, this is one way of knowing the world. But um, within theology, we have all these resources and, and mm. these traditions and these sources of um, being in the world that we can really draw on and probably, you know, it's probably more important now than any other period in history, right? Mm. Um, and so it can be quite emancipating for students to be able to um, to see the legitimacy of theology not just in a private spiritual church-based or religious-based way but actually as a way of um, contributing to knowledge and uh, a way of operating in the world. So, so it does um, go both ways. It feeds you know, they feed each other, I think. Yeah, I think that's great. And and, and you've started to get um, into something that I think is really important is that, you know, you know, the pretense for our discussion today is to talk about uh, the unit on creation and eco-theology that you're teaching for UTC. And, you know, I was, I was struck by what you were saying about how, you know, this is a, a subject, the, theology is a subject among other subjects, it's a way of looking at the world, reading the world, um, moving through the world. And as a Uniting Church minister, I'm never going to get tired of, of, of someone saying the way, uh, you know, as we are pilgrim people on the way <laughs> to the promised end. So, you know, I'm all cool with it. You know, use it, as, use it liberally. Um, but, you know, the, the, if there's any kind of subject uh, or topic or dilemma in the public sphere that is like an all-hands-on-deck kind of um, issue. It's climate, right? It's the climate crisis and the climate emergency that we're living through. And it's like, you know, 
theology should be, you know, it, it should, you know, the world should be like, well, any discipline, any thought process, any school that wants to get on board and help with this, you know, is welcomed to it. So I guess how is, you know, um, how does, you know, yeah, approaching climate, um, you know, as this kind of where we just want, we want to get on board as well. Uh, how does that kind of frame how you think about the, the subjects alongside uh, the subjects. Look, th- this is the whole reason that I actually went back to uni and became a theologian because I was so cross with the church. Why isn't this the church's baby? Why aren't we at the front of this discussion? Why aren't we pulling along mm. um, the green movement? Why aren't we pulling along the p- political discourse? Why aren't we forging ahead in thinking about new economic systems that um, are good for the planet and for people. Why aren't we, you know, at the forefront of all these discussions instead of, you know, begrudgingly being dragged along when we have to? Um, and and to me, it, it's always seemed such a logical extension of, of the Christian faith, but also, you know, the entire Abrahamic faiths, that that God's creation is our number one priority. You know, we are God's creation. We are part of this ecology. And I just couldn't understand why the church wasn't directing uh, this conversation and this action. And so I thought, well, I'll go and do a PhD and that'll fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, love a, I love a PhD um, out of spite. That's, that's great. Uh, look, <laughs> I'll show them if you want to. Um, and so it was actually really fortuitous, I suppose, that at, uh, around that same time Pope Francis uh, mm. became Pope and, um, you know, wrote a letter to the entire world, uh, Laudato yes. Si, um, making the links very obvious um, for anyone to understand that um, the way traditionally we have operated in the world um, has uh, brought us unstuck and is not good for anyone. It's not only uh, bad for the planet and for the future of life on Earth, but it's it's actually bad for people. You know, it's very difficult for us to flourish um, up against such inequity in the world, up against such um, inequality of the impacts of climate change. Um, you know, when we're looking at, you know, a drought uh, in the Middle East and food insecurity, which then erupts in social unrest, which, you know, drives toward the Arab Spring, which contributes to mass migration. You know, these these global issues are so interlinked that no one is spared for them from them. Um, and so it's, it's so incumbent on the church to to wise up to these global issues and the uh, the impact of the way we behave in the world and the structures that we put up around us um, necessarily impact on human flourishing, mm. not only human flourishing but flourishing for the entire ecology. So if that's not core business for religious faiths and people of faith, then, you, you know, I'm at a loss to think of, of what is. It seems to me just so obvious and so logical um, and so I'm I'm really excited to be part of that conversation and I have to say um, now having entered into this world that that there are very many people also <laughs> doing this work and <laughs> engaged in um, in helping the church to to see that this is its core business and historically it's always been core business 
Um, and it's really only in these recent years of, you know, post-enlightenment modernism that we've really strayed from um, what has always been seen as um, a thorough engagement, um, you know, with the kingdom of God, which is about us. Yeah, thank you for that. What, what struck me when you were talking about that is, is you know, if, if we think of like, you know, the, the, the Thomas Aquinas, what is theology, but like, you know, the study of God and all things in relation to God, um, that, that one of the benefits of theology and entering into a discussion such as climate is, as you've said, all the way it interrelates to everything, right? We can't talk about climate without then talking about economic systems and inequality and migration and race and, you know, all, all these kind of things. And yet a lot of disciplines, the issue they have is being very siloed, very specific. But theology has like this beautiful hubris to be like, well, we have to talk about everything. Uh, and and then yeah. potentially I wonder if you think one of the, gifts of approaching climate through theology, even if one is not maybe coming from a confessional tradition, is that it helps you think through the topic in its kind of broader um, expanse, in its broader interrelatedness and the way this actually is about, as you say, not only uh, it's, it's about the flourishing of everyone and the way we live in the world together, um, that theology can actually help us kind of approach it in this bigger, you know, with this bigger lens. Yeah, I think so. I think that you know, theology historically and traditionally has been thinking about God, thinking about us as as people, and thinking about the relationships that um, that that sort of sets up, and and then obviously logically the responsibilities within those relationships. Um, and so, when you start talking about relationships, we're automatically talking about ecology. Um, and we're automatically talking about um, primal faiths and, you know, particularly in Australia, Indigenous understandings of connection to land not being, you know, sentimental and romantic or not only being sentimental and romantic but implicitly um, um, relationships of responsibility and um um, mutual responsibilities. So we care for the land and the land cares for us. We care for other creatures because we are related to other creatures. I mean, this is this mm. is ecology. Um, and so, you know, theology gives us that language to connect up all of these understandings together. I mean, you know, this is why it's known as the queen of sciences, although that has gone out of fashion, I would say, in the last 500 years. Um, but but it's it's a very useful way to to sort of step into, as you say, these siloed um, uh, conversations, which are often problem based, rather than um, you know a more fuller understanding of well, this is relational because we have as the the object of our study the transcendent, right? So we we um, admit and acknowledge um, the mysterious, you know, at step one um, in our study of theology. And that allows us then to talk about things which cannot be quantified and contained in an ecological sense, but most definitely can in a religious sense. Um, so for me, it, it, it allows people that, that are in the sciences um, to to admit to themselves the mysterious and the transcendent and, and 
people already have this because they're already so aware of, you know, the awe and the wonder and the inspiration and, um, you know, the, the personal benefits of being in nature. You know, these are things that everybody knows. You know, ask anybody who's been locked down in Melbourne for these last months, you know, what, what have they missed about, you know, fresh air and uh, being in green spaces and being able to you know, have their feet on the grass and, and connect um, with, with birds and animals. You know, this is, this is a, a universally understood part of what it means to be human is to acknowledge the, the awe and wonder and the mysterious side. Well, theology allows us to put some, some language about, mm. around that. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I never get pushback from, from people in, in sciences because, because this is what makes us human. You know, we all have that um, personal and um, not only emotional, you know, visceral response to being in nature, you know, and it's been the stuff of, of <laughs> literature for, forever, hasn't it? Um, um, but theology just allows us to frame that up in, in, uh, in a language which, um, which is, uh, you know, an academic discipline as well as being a way of being. So um, there, it's no surprise that people historically have been members of communities of faith and have um, gathered together in ritual um, to, to acknowledge the transcendent. You know, that's, that hasn't just been a blip in history. That's been a constant theme since we were pre-human. You know, we, we've had ritual ways of burying people before we had language. Um, so this is very much, you know, what it means to be human. Um, so it's, it's lovely that theology in this era allows us to, to draw on that and develop that, um, both in response to the climate crisis but also just because it's a good, you know, it's a good in the world. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. I think it's really helpful to frame from how that approach can be. Um, th- there was something that struck me in, in your response there, which we were talking about how, you know, you never receive pushback, you know, when you're talking outside of churches, you know, for instance, when you say, hey, I'm here, you know, to respond to the climate crisis and because of X, Y, Z, um, you know, because of this experience of the transcendent and, and um and I think sometimes, you know, with, with Christians, maybe particularly those who are, you know, attracted to be involved in, in climate and things like that and, you know, are maybe, you know, more, he- you know, want to be involved but are then hesitant to actually draw the link to I am here because of my faith. And sometimes, like, I'm afraid to actually bring that up. I'll just be here quietly and maybe if someone asks me seven or eight times, I'll, I'll share why. Um, but otherwise, I'm, I'm wanting to, to – I'll just be – um, and so I was just curious about that, you know, kind of that, that thing you share that, you know, people actually are happy for you to be there for your very, you know, for your faith-based reason, for your theological reason, um, because, you know, that there, there, there is, it's like, okay, that's why you're here. Great. I'm here because of it, you know, yeah, yeah. similar but different. Well, look, people have got all sorts of reasons for being engaged in activism around climate. Um, mm. And I have to say, I, I feel like there is a real change, you know, over the last decade or so, I feel like there's been movement in this space. So you can imagine, you know, I'm a reasonably sort of straight up and down kind of person. And for me to participate in, um, you know, activism and, and small, you know, green groups who are trying to do things on the ground, like I am such a fish out of water, you know, like from both sides, we look at each other and go, we don't recognise each other, you know. Um, and and I, I found that very difficult. So we talk about being socially awkward, like that's the most, you know, that's that's 
been a really difficult space for me to enter into. But I've tried to sort of cross those bridges because if we can mobilise religious people around the world to see this as core business, you know, we've mobilised most of the planet, okay? Mm. Most people on the planet are religious people. And in those, you know, key religious traditions, um, engaging with creation is core business, okay? So if I'm a member of, of a green movement and I see this enormous body of politic, you know, that can um, engage in, in this movement to demand more of our leaders, um, it seems to me that, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, want this, this weight of, of people to be involved? But at a personal level, I found it quite difficult to... Um, to be seen as legitimate in this space, that I'm not, you know, I'm not vegan, for example. Um, I still drive a car because, you know, I, I work far from home. Um, you know, I've travelled a lot internationally, um, you know, establishing my career. You know, these are things which delegitimise me in the eyes of the Green Movement and yet, um you know, none of us are without blame. We're all complicit in the system and, you know, I think each of us need to negotiate our own pathways and do, you know, what we can in that space. So the way I respond might be different to the way you respond. However, on the positive side, in the last decade or so, I've seen a real um, research or a real, not a resurgence, an upswelling of um, religious people owning this space. So you see movements like the Australian uh, Religious Response to Climate Change, ARC, um, bringing together uh, a whole range of, of faiths, um, not to dialogue in an interfaith way, um, but to, to take action in an interfaith way. So to, um, to say, well, the one thing that we have in common is our um, appreciation of the transcendence in this world in which we live and our responsibility to engage in that. Everything else is off the table. You know, we, we, we just take our responsibility in creation seriously and we agree to act together um, to, uh, to lend support and, and, you know, potentially to drive that engagement um, in that activism around climate change. Mm. Thank you for that. I think that's, that's really helpful. And thanks for sharing from your personal experience there. Um, I was thinking about, you know, you said then before about, you know, there is this kind of, you know, concept of, you know, there's actually no way to be environmentally ethical completely in the in the current system, right? You know, the, the whole, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and we're all complicit and, you know, we're all going to fall, come, fall short of the or the glory of God or the standards of the green movement, which, whichever one you want to, you know, put there. So, um, and, and, and and then I was thinking like, well, the Christian faith have, has resources for understanding this. If you know, if you come from particularly a reformed tradition of of understanding that, yeah, like there is like a kind of a universal pervasive sinfulness, despite your best efforts and 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 whatever the you know the unique condition you might be in. Um, and so you know, we, but there's still you know, Paul say, don't go on sinning so that grace may abound. You know, there, there's yeah. you know this thing of you know, we you still meant to devote yourselves to you know, becoming the righteousness of God in the world um, and the pursuit of things that are beautiful and just and, and the like. Um, and, and then similar, like I was thinking of another thing that's kind of happened sometimes. So there's the, which kind of comes out of the, well, we can't do anything ethical, so we shouldn't do anything. Um, and similar, we've kind of seen maybe 
in recent years, this move from kind of those who are resistant to making wholesale changes in response to the climate emergency, that it's, it's a response from, it's gone from maybe denialism or up to now this, well, we're actually past the point where we can do anything, so there's no point doing it now. We just accept that we're, you know, the earth is flying mm. into the sun and we, we can, and business as normal is kind of held regardless. And again, the Christian faith has resources to kind of say that despite everything looking bleak, yeah. despite the saviour being up on the cross, <laughs> um, he's, you know, we're still actually saved. Uh, you know, that, that just like those are kind of just a few things coming to mind. Yeah. But I guess way, I was curious of maybe ways you think that, you know, the Christian faith is kind of uniquely resourced to identify what's actually at play, like some often theological language disguised as, as something else and say, actually, no, <laughs> that's not a reason to opt out or cop out. or, or Yeah, or yeah, yeah. And I've found that, you know, the more we think about this, the more um, that Christianity, which is, you know, my turf and your turf, um, but the other faiths as well, um, the, the resources are just so um, abundant um, for us to um, put the language around what's going on. Um, so there's a couple of things that I want to pick up. Yeah. I think... Working, working in, in the climate movement, people of all backgrounds um, come to activism because of, of desperation, because of this, you know, this sadness and this fear and this anxiety um, and all these negative emotions and guilt. Um, we bring all of this to the table um, and yet... People find hope in community. People find hope in activism. And you hear this again and again. We, you hear this at the, um, after the bushfires of, of last summer, um, that when communities, um, you know, buckle down together and, um, and you know, worked to, to combat um, enormous tragedy, that hope is found in community. Now we know this as Christians, don't we? Because um, you know this is we are a, a faith of hope ultimately, um, and so to take the experience of anyone working in this space and say, well, yes, it, we 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 have this hope as well. We call this resurrection. We call this the kingdom of God. We call this the eschaton, where we are moving towards something that we hope for. Um, and we call that faith because we can't be sure of that, but we, um, we press on and we work as if that is our future. Um, so, you know, now I'm starting to touch on responsibility um, in this world. Um, now, Bonhoeffer talks about this in terms of, um, you know, the, the kingdom of God is inaugurated, is among us, and it is our responsibility to participate in Christ um, making this happen. Um, and I think my experience has been that everyone everyone gets this when they experience what, is, what does it mean to work in community. Um, so this is this is not unique to the Christian church that we find faith in community. This is the human experience. And um, for us as Christians, we can, we can describe this in terms of, you know, um, hope in the resurrection. But what, is the, what does that mean, you know? We see resurrection after the bushfires. We see resurrection when um, rivers are restored, when, 
you know, skies are cleared um, just in the short space of, of a global pandemic. Um, so we see, you know, the power of God at work in, in this ongoing resurrection. And I think, um, you know, we can draw attention to that in, in our Christian language. Um, most definitely we must draw attention to that in our Christian churches, the way we're preaching, the way we're understanding the word of God, the way we're um, interrogating the word of God, you know, for the voices of um, the other creatures, the landscapes, you know, in, in, in throughout the, the entire scriptures, you know, but particularly in the parables and in the miracles of Christ. Thank you for that. Now, you mentioned Bonhoeffer there, and I want to get to Bonhoeffer, so I'm, but I want to do one question before we go there. Uh, because the, the big blue books on the, uh, over, your, over your shoulder are, are beckoning discussion. <laughs> But you said you know, you've been talking then about how, like, you know, this is for our churches to get on board with. As you said, this is this is core business. And I wonder if I think, like, maybe more than some other issues, um, but not exclusively, but just it's maybe more evident than some other ones, is the way that the thinking about the climate emergency, thinking about responding to climate change um, through our churches, is one of those great ways that we can think about that the how the whole church can respond. You know, it, it's, a, it's a really clear way to see that budgets are theological documents. Like where are we willing to put <laughs> our money or, or, or willing to lose money or, or what have you? It, it's, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that, that we can respond to at like, you know, a, a, a regional synod level in individual um, congregations, in theological colleges, you know, all across the church can reshape itself uh, and form itself into this call to care for, for the whole of God's creation and just thoughts on how, how, you know, how this is maybe a way into thinking. And then from, from, from that, you can start thinking about how other topics and other issues in our world might you know, need a whole of church response. Um, but yeah, the way that, you know, this is a way not just to think like, Oh, how do I maybe exegete a passage a bit differently, but how do we actually think about our, our governance and polity differently yeah. through eco-theology? Yeah. And again, you know, we've seen some real moves in this space in the last decade or so, um, particularly in divestment from fossil yeah. fuels. Um, you know, nothing speaks like money in, in a capitalistic world. Um, and and that, that actually gives me hope that um, across um, many of the denominations, there's real leadership in that space, um, divesting, um, using, um, you know, cleaner fuels, for transport, you know, I was visiting um, a church in New Zealand last year um, where all of the vehicles um, across the diocese are um, bicycles. So you want to go to a meeting, you get on a bicycle. There's, there's not a, you know, a, a pool of vehicle. Well, the, the pool of vehicles are all bicycles. So, you know, and that that really inspires me. I mean, I know that's a bit cultural because people tend to cycle a bit more, but, um, but you know, we can drive those sorts of changes um, by requiring um, the way we operate as organisations and as institutions. Um, I've been really inspired with individual churches um, really taking stock of, you know, taking inventory of, of how they're um, contributing to carbon pollution and other sorts of pollution and making moves on that. And, you know, Jessica Moorthorpe's work in, um, in, um, in that space has been really important to, to make it very easy for churches to say, well, we actually we... Um, we can make some pretty painless gains in this space. You know, we can we can make changes which are both um, 
literally um, good moves to make, but they're also so symbolic in the community. So when the church sort of uh, restores its place as um, that space in the centre of the village in terms of a safe place to think about climate change, a safe place to be responding to it in terms of the way we use um, energy, um, the way we um, care for our spaces, whether we have, you know, community gardens, um, you know, those sorts of things, mm. solar, you know, panels on the on the roof which are really symbolic um, and sending a message that, um, you know, we're not archaic, we're not some artefact of, of a different um, era. We're actually, you know, right in here in this moment, in the Anthropocene, um, making the changes that are necessary and driving changes throughout um, the rest of the community. Um, and I think that makes it a really attractive space for people to engage with as well. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and, and or, you know, then acts as a way of, you know, the same way that the religious art, Christian art does in a church, you know, these kind of things help form the imagination uh, and the piety of, of the membership of, of the church themselves who go in every Sunday and see these changes being made, see these, um, uh, you know, in, in the best possible way, virtues being signalled, um, you know, that, that, that kind of see, see, see their community taking action here and that, that shapes you, if you, you know, the more you see that and encounter that and inspires you to, yeah. maybe I can do a little more, you know, at home or maybe I can push for our government to do more and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and I guess there's sort of... Um, interface there with the rituals that we undertake you know like I'm really mindful of um, the Lutheran church in Germany you know it's just so so open to allowing the outside world in so so many windows that just open onto woodland so that when you're worshipping you're you, you know you're in the forest um, you know albeit in a protected building um, the rituals that we have around um, baptism and mm. marriage and um, burial, you know, these these are so earthly and so material and so engaged in the elements of the world around us. I mean, there's a reason for that <laughs> um, because theologically we're engaged in, in this world and, you know, there are so many moments, you know, the Eucharist itself, you know, there's a reason that it's water and wine and, you know, bread from grain, you know, and it's not mm. just some sort of imaginary you know, it's it's a physical ritual which reminds us of our engagement in the ecology. Um, so there are so many resources there for us. I mean, I'm really interested in, you know, people from um, New Age, pagan, um, naturalist, you know, spiritualist um, realms who who see these rituals for what they are. They see pilgrimage as, you know, making a space through country. They see labyrinth walking as um, a meditation which is so engaged in the world. You know, like outsiders can see what our rituals really are um, and, and that's, you know, a factor in why they're so attractive to people outside of the church, you know, why mm. people walking the Camino, well, not this year, but um, <laughs> in other years, um, you know, why it's so popular because it's that, that really essential human response to um, to being in the ecology and and yet seeing the mystery which which is also there. And that's, you know, that's what ecotheology really is. That's so great. Thank you. 
So, so I promised you a Bonhoeffer question, uh, and I don't want to disappoint. Um, so, well, how long have you got, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. You can just like brush off the, the very shortest answer you want. You don't have to go into this. But I was thinking about, you know, of, of, of all the theologians out there, if there's one who gets invoked a lot when it comes to contemporary political or, or topical discussions and gets invoked from multiple sides, um, it, it's, it's Bonhoeffer, right? Everyone wants to kind of claim Bonhoeffer on their side a little bit, it seems. Um, and so I guess I've got kind of two questions here, which is, you know, one, what drew you to Bonhoeffer? Because you've done some really excellent writing on Bonhoeffer and, and, and linking Bonhoeffer to climate and things like, and, and these conversations. Um, what leads you there? But then I guess from being in that world, what are some of the maybe the dangers people should be aware of with wanting to, you know, with, with invoking Bonhoeffer? Because, you know, the fact that, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've seen Bonhoeffer moment. This is a Bonhoeffer moment, oh. you know, show up on <laughs> show up online over the last, I don't know, year and a half. Um, you know, there's obviously like, yeah, so there's, but there's good reason to appeal, but yeah. like I think there are probably some trap falls as well. And it's, you know, yeah, what you yeah. hear. All right. So I might I might um, respond to that in the reverse order and yeah. just start with this this idea of Bonhoeffer being, you know, taken out of context. He's a he's a man for everyone, right? Everyone sort of sees themselves, yeah, <laughs> or sees Bonhoeffer in their own image, right? Yes. Um, and and that certainly has been driven a little bit by an American um, author who who wrote a biography. Um, which is really positioning Bonhoeffer as um, a right-wing activist, um, which is very difficult for me to even understand the logic of that since Bonhoeffer opposed Hitler. Um, however, um, in light of that, Bonhoeffer has, has actually been sort of invoked um, in support of Trump, um, which, again, follows that logic but doesn't seem to make much sense to, to genuine um, Bonhoeffer scholars. We, we have to be so careful not to just read ourselves into any theologian that we adore. Um, but the fact that Bonhoeffer um, is, is quite mysterious. There's, there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of um, grey, which is not black and white, um, because both of the era in which he lived um, through the Second World War um, but also because of the, the type of theologian that he was, I, I think. And um, this is what draws me to him, that um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jürgen Habermas, who um, is a philosopher who talks about the, um, the ways of knowing and, um, you know, the ways we sort of understand knowledge. Um, you know, we can just sort of see the facts and, and learn the facts and spit the facts back out um, but that's you know not a very um, sufficient way and then there's sort of the next level of, of sort of mastering this and um, being able to utilize these facts um, and apply them to to a situation which which is fine and most people you know can can get away in a career sort of doing that but what what the highest kind of um, point of, of education that we emulate is to is to be self-critical and reflective learners who are able to take in knowledge, uh, not only sort of master it and manipulate it and um, apply it, but apply it to ourselves and have ourselves changed through the process of, of this education and this coming to knowing. And I think, I think for me, Bonhoeffer really emulates that because 
he does move his position through his very short career. Um, he does um, take in the context and have to wrestle with, okay, there is no black and white here. There is no good or evil choice. It's a choice between one evil and another, and yet we still have to find the will of God in this situation. And it's that really authentic wrestling with how do we engage as Christian people in this in this moment. That's what's really attractive to me about Bonhoeffer. Not that he writes specifically on, on climate change or even ecology because those words weren't even um, in the zeitgeist at the time, but he certainly does provide us the tools, the, the methodology for engaging with the world around us in trying to find Christ in this moment, not what would Jesus do uh, and not even what would Bonhoeffer do, but how do we find the way forward with participating in Christ in this situation? And for me, that participation is one of engaging in the climate crisis, seeing it as the emergency that it is um, and helping, you know, to bring the church along um, with that. So this whole idea of Bonhoeffer moment is, you know, are we at this pointy end of, um, you know, are we in such a bad situation that we're prepared to, you know, kill Hitler, you know, the first person to invoke killing Hitler wins, right, <laughs> or loses. Um, and I think that really misses the point of it's not just the pointy end that we're worried about, it's it's all of the moments, you know, all of the moments of Bonhoeffer moments really that um, as people of faith we're, in, we're really required to, you know, put our money where our mouth is and and engage in a real way as if Christ is in the world, as if Christ is holding the ecology together because actually that's what the scriptures say. Wow, that's a, you know, that's an answer. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, so <laughs> well, I am a fan girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the the subject, you know, hopefully I'm sure that this has, this conversation has really whet everyone's appetite to, to take creation and eco-theology with the United Theological College. Uh, give us a little, when are the, when's the subject on? Why should people take it? I mean, other than everything we've talked about, uh, what are you hoping specifically, I guess, from it? And uh, yeah, when's it on and how can people get involved? Because I mean, this conversation surely has inspired the masses. They're going to have to build three more <laughs> classrooms out there. I'll, I'll well, let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the first thing. You don't have to be in the classroom. You can take yeah. it online as well. It'll be live Zoomed, so people have that option, um, depending on, you know, where the world is um, yeah. in November. So it's the um, second week in November, the 9th to the 13th, um, in Sydney, North Parramatta, the UTC campus, but also online. Um, you can take it for credit in any um, theological school um, or you can simply join in and audit it for a much smaller fee. Um, so it's a week of being together, um, doing some hard textual work in eco-theology, but also um, engaging with that material, you know, in that Habermasian way of what does this mean for me? How do I respond in an ethical way to this material? Um, and also some experiential learning of being in nature and really um, 
maybe just pushing the edges a little bit of what we normally do. I mean, I know, you know, people who, who are going to sign up for an eco-theology unit, you know, might all, already be very inspired by being in the natural world. But sometimes I feel like we can just push, push that boundary a little bit and wonder, you know, what was it like for Adam and Eve in the garden, um, calling the names of the animals and uh, having that relationship with the animals? Um, because they were so known to them, um, where there was no fear. Um, so, yes, there'll be a little bit of mysterious um, pushing the edges there um, from, a, from a personal way. Um, but certainly looking at a little bit of Bonhoeffer, looking at some other terrific um, eco-theologians and other theologies, just pulling apart a little bit um, the, the sort of traditional wisdom um, of of this idea of dominion over the world, which which really has come come out to be turned into domination of the world. Um, so just pushing back on that, um, thinking about an ethical response in in the climate emergency, and maybe um, thinking a little bit about how we might be engaged in in some activism around that. It's going to be great. People it should just join. It. And and uh, and I'll I'll advocate. Um, my parents have started auditing some classes through um, UTC this last uh, year and they've really loved doing it and, and enjoyed just being able to log on and, and do it um, either. Well, I think one did in the classroom and a couple that done online. And, you know, if you're a minister needing to do continuing ed, like this is a great way to do it. But even if you just, yeah, if you're just have never even taken a, a class before in theology or just really interested about wading in, I mean, if you're looking for one that's going to be, you know, both looking at the broader tradition, helping you to think theologically, but also has this direct impact on, on living ethically in our world. This sounds like the one. So really do check it out. And, and the UTC people are very helpful. All those folks in the good, in the admin uh, and the like are, are really helpful at getting you so settled and sorted. So uh, do check it out uh, as best you can. I'll put the contact information in the, sh in the show notes below. Uh, Di, is there anything else you want to plug? Any other ways people can connect with you? Uh, other things you've got going on or, or things got, you're coming out? Shout them out now. Oh, look, I just love people and I love having conversations. So <laughs> I'm always good for being hit up for, um, for you know, just talking through this stuff with people. I, I love it. Um, I do a lot of preaching as well, um, which I really love, just being able to dwell in the word of God and, and make it real. Mm. Um, for people so um, you know there's that but here's the thing um, I'm I'm taking taking a bit of a fast from social media um, so over the last month or so I've just um, completely dropped offline so people will, will actually have to telephone me <laughs> telephone me or email me hit me up um, and you can find that material you know that information online but I'm actually not engaging in Facebook or Twitter um, etc at the minute that you're, you're stronger than me. That's good. Everyone should be fasting from it, uh, myself included. Um, that's yeah, that's it, it's, it's actually really good. Yeah, good. <laughs> I should try. Um, well, that's great. Yes, and, and the information is very easy to find. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a great conversation. We've uh, covered a bunch, but it's been it's just been really illuminating and wonderful. So um, I'm so glad you were able to join us. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to chat again sometime. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Liam. I'm, um, I'm hoping that my book will finally be out. But, you know, in COVID time, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, published before the end of the year, but, uh, but people can, can look out for that as well. Too. Oh, that's great. Well, make sure you do and we'll get you back on when it, when it is out and I've had a chance to look at it. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. 